life. And some of the symbolism that I've developed with this, this picture on the screen and on the front of your bulletin is this. You have a maze and life is confusing. And you often don't know which direction to go. And you're sitting there scratching your heads going, I don't know. And on top of that, you have a bunch of splattered paint. And life sometimes is really, really messy. And you think life would be so easy if it was clear and open and I knew exactly which direction to go. But I'm discovering as I'm getting older, and maybe you are too, that life is not easy. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know, and here's a word of encouragement, who does know the future and whose direction we can follow. If you've ever been in a really dark room when it's absolutely pitch black and you have no idea anything in front of you, you've been in a cave where you can't even see your hand in front of your face, and it's a little bit disconcerting for a moment, If you're standing still, it's not too bad. But if you have to move, it's really disconcerting. And it's really funny to watch people walk into a dark room if you could see how they walk. Because no one walks into a pitch black room walking like this. Everyone walks with their hands out in front of them and they look really funny and they're feeling their way around, not knowing what the future will hold. And they may be in a huge room with no obstacles in front of them, but they're still walking funny and they're walking like this. And when the lights get turned on, all of a sudden you see what reality is. It's kind of like Christmas lights. My children have been begging me for years to put Christmas lights on. This is not my house. And you take a normal, everyday-looking house and you cover it in Christmas lights, it becomes spectacular. Now, I'm telling my children that our neighbors around us, if we put Christmas lights on, then it just start a competition, and then where would it end? But when you turn the lights on, you begin to see. And you begin to see clearly. What we find in the Scripture, in John chapter number 1, if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn there. I want you to see this. It says... In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This morning, we're setting a foundation for our Christmas season and our Christmas series. The life was the light of men. The light has been turned on. Now, the Gospel of John is not a hard guess who wrote the Gospel of John. It was written by the Apostle John. He wrote the Gospel of John, and then later on the end of the Bible, it has 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then just to spice it up, it calls Revelation. And the books that he wrote, all of them have a general theme, but especially the Gospel of John has a theme behind it that when you begin to look for it, it jumps out at you. The theme is to show that Jesus is God. And as you begin to discover and read through the Gospel of John, the fact that Jesus is God jumps out time and time again. And we see that in the very beginning of John. John chapter number 1, verse number 1. I'm going to read through, and I'm going to skip a few verses, but we're going to read all the way to verse number 14 where it says this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word there is Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And here's our verse. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then we're going to go down to verse number 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then it's summarized again in verse number 14 that says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christmas right there. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to stay there on that verse number 14 for just a moment and look at that word glory. It says there, through Jesus Christ, we have seen, in other words, we've experienced the glory of God. If you look up into Bible commentaries and, and theologians as they write about the glory of God, they come up with definitions like this. that says, the glory of God is the magnificence, worth, loveliness, and grandeur of his many perfections, which he displayed in his creative and redemptive acts. In order to make the glory known to those in his presence. That right there is a summary of something that the author and pastor John Piper says this, defining the glory of God is impossible. God is in a class by himself. He has infinite perfections, infinite greatness, and infinite worth. You begin to think about the glory of God. And the scripture there says we have seen his glory. And as we begin to discover and study the glory of God, we sit there and scratch our heads going, I don't comprehend this. This is amazing. As a silly illustration, try to describe basketball to someone who's never seen or experienced the game of basketball before. And you begin to describe, well, there's a, a round ball and it's about this big across. And sometimes it's made of leather, sometimes it's made of rubber. And in order to play the game, you have five people on each side of a, of a court and you have to bounce the ball in order to move. And the goal is to get your ball into a what used to be a basket, but now it's a metal ring. And you start describing all these things. And if you've never seen basketball before, you think, what is he talking about? And sometimes we think that with the glory of God. We begin to try to describe it and we go, ah, there's so much depth. And unless I've experienced it for myself, I will not comprehend it. In the Old Testament, we see Moses in Exodus 33 on the Mount Sinai. He's talking to God and receiving the Ten Commandments. And he asks God a question. He says, Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, you don't know what you're asking for. There's no way that you can be exposed to my glory. My glory will consume you. But he says, don't worry, Moses, I'm going to hide you behind a rock and then I'm going to hide you behind the, my hand and you're just going to get a glimpse of my, the back of my glory. And with that 
Moses returns down from Mount Sinai and he's literally glowing for weeks afterwards because he was in the presence of God, just a sliver of his glory. You're familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. And we, if you've seen movies, you're kind of somewhat familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. But at the same time, as the Ark of the Covenant was the, where the Ten Commandments were held. There was manna in there. There was various things that also the presence of God was in, in, um, is a symbolized in that Ark of the Covenant. As these children of Israel were transporting the Ark of the Covenant one time, a man named Yuza came and the, the oxen were stumbling along and it started to shift. So he puts his hands up and he touches the Ark of the Covenant and he's killed instantly because he was in the presence of God's glory. In the temple, in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 7, after they dedicated Solomon's temple, temple and Solomon prayed it says that the glory of God came down and consumed the sacrifice they had and the glory of God came into the temple and the temple if you can imagine this room like like the temple in the back that's the front okay the front part of the temple is known as the holy place outside we have the courtyards people would come and go there'd be sacrifices and every day there would be priestly duties inside of the front half in the holy place. They would come in, they would purify themselves, they would cleanse themselves, they would come in, burn incense, and do various priestly duties in the holy place. But in the other half, which was separated by a a large veil, there was the holy of holies. And there were several implements in there, along with the Ark of the Covenant was in there. And once a year, the high priest, after ceremonially cleansing themselves and sacrificing for their own sins, they would come in and they would carry on the day of Passover, they would carry the, the blood sacrifice into the Holy of Holies only once a year. If you fast forward to Jesus' death on the cross, in Matthew 27, it records that when Jesus died on the cross, at that very moment, there was a rip in the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And from the outer courtyard, for the very first time, you could see directly into the holy of holies, the place where the glory of God was residing. And why that's important is this. Through Jesus Christ coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying a cruel death on the cross, He's given us direct access to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And that right there is really exciting. Now I realize that by your faces, I can see how excited you are. But that changes absolutely everything. And as it changes everything, literally Jesus turned on the light. And that scripture again in verse number 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God turned on the light of life through Jesus. And our principle is this. And every Sunday we have a principle that we want to apply to our life. It is Jesus turns my life from dark to light. And this is where it becomes practical. 
Because so often we get used to the things of God. We get used to church. We get used to the routine. We get used to knowing that Jesus Christ came to earth and died on the cross. And we, it rolls off our tongue and becomes somewhat normal. But then when we delve into this, we begin to discover that we live in a very, very dark world. So this morning I have three different application points where every person here today can turn to the light of Jesus Christ and overcome darkness in these three areas that we're going to discover in John chapter number one. The darkness of deception, the devil, and death. There's three D words here today. First is this, the darkness of deception. I enjoy an illusion. I like when people do the card tricks and various things, you know, the coin behind the ear. I look at those things, I go, how do they do that? And the sleight of hand things I find just remarkable. I sit there and go, how did they do that? I kind of enjoy being tricked a little bit and knowing that there's a trick behind the various things that they do. And in the scripture, in verse number nine, it says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's Christmas right there. The opposite of the true light would be false light. On one side, we have the true light of Jesus Christ, but we live in a world that's the opposite, where we live in a, a world of deception, the false light. It's a horrible feeling to discover that you've been lied to. And as you go through life, and as life continues on, you begin to discover that we've been lied to in this world. We've been deceived time and time uh, again. And it's a horrible feeling when you look back upon your life and think, the things that I said I've always believed that are actually totally wrong. The things that I thought were true are actually incorrect because I've now been exposed to the light. In the book of 1 John chapter 1, Verses 5 through 9. It's a well-known passage, and it's well worth your time to study and even to memorize. It says this, This is the message that we heard from Him, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And in verse 9, it famously says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a world of deception that we're living in right now. And the opposite of that is the true light of Jesus Christ. In order to know the truth, we have to, first of all, follow the truth. I don't like being deceived. I like knowing what is true and living what is true. And something encouraging in, in verse number 7 in this passage, it says, if we walk in the light, and have you ever thought to yourself, but I don't know where the light is. I don't know what is right. I don't know the direction of my life. I don't know what the future is going to hold. And just like that imagery with the 
with the maze on your bulletin there and the splotches of the paint, you think our life is unknown and uncertain. But that passage doesn't just stop and give you the command to walk in the light. In other words, to be smart enough, to be good enough. It continues on and it says, as he is in the light. I find that so encouraging because we're not doing this life by ourselves. I'm going to be in the light of Jesus Christ because that's where he is. And I'm simply following his light, his truth. I don't have to be smart enough to know everything as truth. I just have to follow the one who is true, who knows the truth. That passage continues on in verses 8 and 9, and we see to tell the truth. That is confessing our sins with cars. It's never convenient to have a broken down car. I've never had a broken down car that you go, you know what? This is actually a pretty good day for my car to break down. It always breaks down in the most inconvenient time. And if you have a dead battery, you, you might get the satisfaction of hearing. But the modern cars don't even give you that satisfaction. They go click, 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 click. And you know that the more you click, it's not going to get any better. Now, as a man, if my family was with me, I open the bonnet up, I walk around, and I stand there behind the bonnet so they can't see my face, and I go, I have no idea what to do. <laughs> but you still tinker, and you make sure you get your hands a little bit dirty so it looks like you did something. And then you walk back, and then you say, I'll call, I'll call RAC. You can sit there and go, no, it's not broken. It's fine. Click, 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 click. It's fine. It will be okay. Click, 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 click. And it's never going to start. You have to actually admit there's a problem. I need a new battery. In that verse number eight, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We don't want to live this life thinking to ourselves, well, it's not that bad. It's okay. And I'm not as bad as we begin to compare ourselves with other people. At least I'm not like they are. And it says if we say that we have no sin, it's personal. God in that passage isn't saying you compare yourself to others. It's saying what, is, what are you responsible for? What have you done? And thank God it doesn't just say, admit all your problems, admit all your sinfulness. And that's it. It continues on in verse number nine. And it gives us a wonderful promise. It says, if we confess our sins, going back to God, he is faithful. He is just. He forgives us our sins and he cleanses us and he turns us our unrighteousness to righteousness it's a wonderful truth but it begins with telling the truth we live in a world where people question what is truth so therefore we need to follow the truth and we need to tell the truth we have the darkness of deception we also see in this passage the darkness of the devil verse number 12 says but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. Become children of God is a wonderful privilege to be part of the family of God. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I am a child of God. And if you know Christ is your Savior today, you are a child of God. But the opposite of that, turn that around the opposite way, the opposite of being a child of God is 
by default being a child of the devil. And that's not a joke at all. That's a horrible position to be in, that the majority of our world that, and people that do not know Christ as their Savior are finding themselves in right now. There was a comedian that became popular in the 1960s and went into and had his own variety show in the 1970s called Flip Wilson. And believe me, I I was not even born when he was around. He famously had a comedy sketch that used this phrase, the devil made me do it. And one of his most famous sketches was of a pastor talking to his wife. And the wife saw a dress in the window and she said, I tried to turn away, but the devil said, I look so good in it. And the devil said, it's just your size. And the devil said that it's it's just right. And look how good you look in it and all the various things. And she came back at the end and goes, the devil made me buy this dress. And that became a little bit of a popular culture where we blame the devil. Oh, the devil made me do it. But if we're children of the devil, we're just doing what we're children of. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And Jesus teaches his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. We live in a very dark world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Let me ask you a question today. Is that statement true? If it is true, Jesus says that I've overcome the world. If it's not true, Jesus is a liar and we are people without hope. We live in a very dark world. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. If you are, think of the devil, we often think of the devil as a serpent. The Bible also describes him as a roaring lion. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In a moment, you're going to see a little, uh, a little one-minute video of a lion. Imagine waking up in the morning, and this is what greets you. So, my kitchen is growling at me this morning. As you can see, you've got a beautiful male lion looking through my kitchen window. And I just need to get to that kettle to make some coffee, that's all. But the decision is, should I go cold turkey this morning? I have no coffee. I managed to get the kettle on so we're gonna have a good cup of coffee this morning there's the mail hey i'm just trying to get some coffee yeah that bible verse again says be sober-minded be watchful You don't wake up in the morning with a lion outside your window and go, it's no big deal. But you know what? If it was there every single day, you kind of get used to it after a while. And the scripture there describes the devil not as your friend, but as your adversary who's going around looking 
to devour you and to devour others around you. And we get used to it because that's the dark world that we are all living in. You realize the devil, he is clever. He knows his Bible. He he knows his Bible far better than we do, and he uses it and and turns the Scriptures around and makes right wrong and wrong right. There's a movie from 1995 called The Usual Suspects, and in there there's a line that says this, The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. We live in a very dark world. But thank God we are called children of God. And at verse number 12, if you, if you look at it, and it's on the screen, but I hope you can see it in your Bibles as well. It says, to all who did, and first of all, we see receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You realize today, you may not know Christ as your Savior. And you may, God may be speaking to your heart, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not a child of God. You don't have to be remain a child of God to be the opposite, the devil. The scripture there says, receive him. So it's an act of the will where it's not forced upon you. You are actively seeking and saying, I want your salvation, Jesus Christ. And it says, believe in his name. Is Jesus Christ really who he says he is? And it goes, he gave the right to become children of God. He, through his death on the cross, gives us the right to have direct access to God. It's through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, you can, you can begin to that process and pray to Him even where you're seated right now. You can receive Him and believe in your heart where you're seated right this moment. But if you like, at the end of the service, I would love to take the Bible and open up the Scripture and, and show you out of the Bible how you can place your trust upon Christ as your Savior. We have the darkness of deception. We live in a dark world. We have the darkness of the devil. And then third is we have the darkness of death. Verses 12 and 13 says, He gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. On one side, we have the born. We have the life of God. On the opposite side of that would be the death away from God. You are separated from God. And that's often what we refer to as a place separated from God. When we close our eyes in death, we're either in heaven or the horrible place that we don't enjoy thinking about or talking about, a place called hell. And when the Bible describes hell and all the, the torment that is there, but the worst part of hell is that you are eternally separated from your Creator God. Hebrews chapter number 9, verses 27 and 28. And just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after this comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. On the screen is a picture of a family. It's um, Kevin and Shiloh Bear and their five children. Kevin Bear is a pastor just outside of Canberra in a place called Quimbian. And he's pastored for a number of years. Pastor Larry and I have been in meetings with him. We don't know him well, but certainly we consider each other friends. And on Friday, I received the news that after a short battle with cancer, Shiloh Bear passed away. And 
Kevin wrote an incredible post on Facebook, and you can tell he's been working on this for a while. I'm just going to read a few of the short paragraphs. There's a number of things I'm going to skip in his long post about his wife and about how he now has peace in a time that's such a sad time. Cancer is a horrible thing. But here's where he had peace and he has joy. He says, My family and I are both mourning and rejoicing. Mourning because we miss her tremendously. Rejoicing because she is home in the presence of our Savior. The end of the battle gave way to glorious victory. And the reason Shiloh has the victory is because of her faith in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection three days later. Jesus Christ may be praised. For those who know Shiloh but don't know Jesus as their Savior, I can only plead with you that you would place your faith in the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the only way to have victory. To know that people believed on Jesus Christ as a result of her death would bring great joy to our family in Shiloh and great rejoicing in heaven. The Apostle Paul says something that's really quite confusing in 2 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 19. He says, If in Christ we have hope, For this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's kind of an unusual thing that he says there. But as children of God, as believers in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we have more than just the 70 or 80 or even less years that we have here on earth. We have more to look forward to than just life here. We have eternity in heaven one day. And although I don't particularly look forward to the physical act of death, I'm really looking forward to the moment afterwards when we will be in the very presence of God. And the Apostle Paul there says, if this was all we had to look forward to, what a sad, pitiful life we have to look forward to. What a sad, pitiful eternity of nothingness. But we have eternity in the presence of God. Let me ask you a question. How do you think that God wants you to respond to the light of life? How do you think if Jesus Christ was here today, which I believe the Holy Spirit is here in our presence even now, if Jesus Christ was standing before you today and say, I have the light of life, how do you think he would want you to respond? Would he want you to get up and go, that was nice, and leave the same person that you arrived? Or do you think that Jesus Christ would want you to say, I want to leave the darkness of the world, and I want the light of Jesus Christ? I don't want to live in deception. I don't want to live under the control of the devil. I don't want to live under the, the, the fear of death any longer. And that's where you and I can live in light this Christmas. My encouragement to you, if you know Christ as your Savior, now we get to live this out. Maybe you're finding yourself going through the motions of life And it's confusing because you're living as if you're living in darkness. But in reality, you have the light, but you're not living in the light. 
You don't have to live in deception. You don't have to live under the control of the devil. You don't have to live under the fear of death because we have the light of Jesus Christ. So this Christmas season, as we go through this series, I hope it's a challenge to you, but also hope it's an encouragement. So as you leave this morning, you leave as people that are convicted to make a change, but also challenged to move forward and to do something different because you're now living no longer in darkness. Where are you living? You're living in the light. In a moment, we're going to pray.